What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, kids' playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe Ventilation System exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe Ventilation System. You can get it installed, or DIY kits are available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com and receive 20% off today when you have health insurance it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs that can be a lot of money but are your bills accurate well it's estimated that over 50 percent of medical bills contain errors HealthLock can help you. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. So to save, visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com today. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there, and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, Einstein can't be classed as witless. He claimed atoms were the litlist. I'm Jonathan Strickland. And I'm Joe McCormick. And our other host, Lauren Vogelbaum, is not with us today. She is in New York doing very exciting things. But today we're going to be initiating part two of a two-part episode on the AI arms race. And in the last episode, if you haven't heard that yet, you should go back and listen to that one first where we lay all the groundwork for the stuff we're going to be talking about today. Last time, what did we do? We talked about uh, sort of some definitions of different concepts in artificial intelligence, Mm -hmm. how likely we are, we think, to achieve them, what ways they might be achieved, some potential stumbling blocks to achieving them. But in the end, we want to say today... Okay, let's assume that people create what's known as an artificial general intelligence. Is that going to lead 
to a worldwide arms race for intelligent machines. Yes. Boy, that spoiled it. No, we've got a lot to say about this. And this is – if you listened to the last episode, you heard at the end, I mentioned that we have some interesting characters to talk about, people who have uh, perspectives on this idea. And the first person we're going to chat about falls into that interesting character category quite handily. Yeah, so uh, th- this is just one example. There have been lots of people actually who have written about the idea of a looming AI arms race. But yes. one example of a guy – with this uh, prediction is a guy named Zoltan Istvan, who is the presidential candidate in the United States for the 2016 transhumanist party ticket. He's a transhumanist journalist and, and I guess now politician, I suppose. Yes. Enthusiast seems too modest a word. Uh, he actually he had on his website a, a suggestion of a transhumanist bill of rights. It, it included things like the right to extend one's life. And stuff like that. Huh. But anyway, so uh, so Istvan has a thesis that he published in a Vice Motherboard article that uh, was, I guess, a year or two ago, I think. And he, he said, you know what? Artificial general intelligence is not going to arise in the lab of a tech company like Google or a university research program or some genius kid's garage, AGI is going to arise through the work of state actors defending their interests. And uh, so speaking of coming superhuman artificial intelligence, uh, Zoltan writes, quote, Politicians and military commanders around the world will want this superintelligent machine mind for their countries and defensive forces, and they'll want it exclusively. Using AI's potential power and might for national security strategy is more than obvious. It's essential to retain leadership in the future world. Inevitably, a worldwide AI arms race is set to begin. So so here's the thesis that we can explore for the rest of today's episode. Now – Right off the the face of it, I think at least part of Zoltan's argument is is wrong. Yeah. Uh, I don't necessarily think the AI arms race part is wrong. And I don't think necessarily that nations wouldn't want exclusive use of some sort of super intelligent entity to work on their behalf. I think that's apparent. Yeah. Right. Like it, it would be crazy to suggest otherwise that if there was any given nation – were to have the opportunity to have a super intelligent entity on their side, it would be insane to say, now nah, we're good. Go help someone else. That, then what, what's the part you disagree with? I disagree with his statement that says that AI is not going to show up in the lab of a tech company, but what? instead will become the, will arise because of the, the work of state actors. Yeah. Okay. So, and I know that's not the only thing we're going to disagree with, but that's the first thing here. Yeah. That's the first thing I disagree with because I don't know if you've ever worked for any government agency, Joe. Have you? Have you ever worked for a government? I've worked for a university. So that's state university. That's close, yeah. Because all right, so you know about bureaucracy. Uh You know about the barriers that are there and for progress. Because well, I know about bureaucracy and barriers to progress in private industry. Sure, sure. It's just in government. I think it tends to be on a on a level that's. Exacerbated. Prodigious. <laughs> right. And, and I mean, let's be fair. OK, so bureaucracy exists for a reason. Bureaucracy exists so that repeated tasks have a streamlined process to go through. Right. Mm-hmm. It, it, so that that way 
you have designed a system that is really good at handling very specific things. The problem is anything that's outside of that specificity doesn't fit the system and then getting any progress on that is laborious at best or possibly impossible depending upon the 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 degree. Now, I would say that companies are far more nimble and have a greater incentive to invest in research and development of artificial intelligence on a scale that dwarfs anything that any government is able to do, unless you're talking about a massive government that just decides to turn its full attention on this problem. Right. So uh, a, a king. Yes. Yeah. Some sort of uh, a very authoritarian approach saying, all right, we're just turning all of our like if you're playing the game Civilization, you switch all your cities so that they're just producing science, mm -hmm. that kind of thing where, uh, you know, here in the United States, for example, yes, we have organizations like DARPA that's part of the Department of Defense. They are very heavily into administering projects that guide research and development in AI and other areas of technology, they're not the ones who do it themselves. Private companies or even publicly traded companies or research organizations do the work. Yeah. So I think maybe state actors will play a part in the sense that there might be some funding. But I would argue that we're far more likely to see the emergence of something approaching general artificial intelligence from one of these companies, not from like a, a specific state-sponsored program uh, because the companies are more nimble. They're able to respond and change uh, their course of action much more quickly than any government agency can. There's a lot of inertia and momentum involved in government agencies, and trying to change course is very hard to do. You know, I would say if you are a government and you're interested in funding uh, AI research to win this AI arms race, to beat all the other countries and uh, international competitors, to be, to establish this AGI that you can call upon to do your bidding. I think that the, the best strategy to go about that would probably be to set some kind of huge prize for yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, and, and governments have done things like this before. Well, DARPA know, does it. Yeah, research prizes. So some gigantic pool of money. You say mm -hmm. first person to produce a computer that can meet these five requirements gets all of this. Yes. And uh, and so, again, then you're still talking about an indirect right. kind of influence, right? Like the, you've, you've created the incentive, but it's not the agency that actually creates the AG. I that has been that Zoltan's been arguing for. Also, in another article that Zoltan wrote, there's a bit where uh, he he says, "Well, this would be unlike the space industry, where we see international cooperation, like on the International Space Station, which to me seems to be very convenient in the fact that there he's ignoring the origin of the space race. Uh, like he he's saying AI would be different from the space race because with the space race or rather the space industry, because the space industry, we see this relatively peaceful cooperation between nations to advance our understanding of science and technology. Right. But the space race started as a branch of the Cold War. I mean, it was a, it was an uh a product of the Cold War. Yeah. If it weren't for this, this. I mean, um, our, our space program, could, could you argue that it's essentially something that was like hastily cobbled together after Sputnik? Cause they were like, Oh crap. Well, yeah. I mean, and Sputnik 
did exactly what the Russians wanted it to do, which was to indicate to the United States, hey, we can build a rocket that can reach you, uh-huh. right? That was really the Soviet Union's primary goal. Now, the people who worked on the Sputnik project, they had their other, like, their their own individual motivations and their own individual goals for that project. But the state goal was to say, we can launch a rocket that can reach you, you America. And then America said, well, we have to make sure that we have the same capability. Um, and they funded it in a way where it was in the name of science. And there were legitimate scientists doing legitimate science under this program. But it wouldn't have existed without the Cold War, right? Without this co- this competition between two massive uh, world powers. And so – Really, I would argue that the reason why the space industry is the way it is is because of this history that predates it of uh, of competition and kind of a well, again, a, a a branch of that Cold War. It was it was acts of passive aggression, I guess. Uh, so I think an AI arms race. I agree with this point that an AI arms race would be uh, something we would expect should we reach that level of. AI sophistication. And you could even argue that we're seeing an AI arms race right now. It's just we're seeing it in the context of narrow AI as opposed to general AI. Right. But I, a lot of the, the premises he sets up to support that I disagree with. I think that they, those would need to be revisited. I do agree with his end conclusion, <laughs> but his argument is not – I don't think it's supportable, uh, like the, the actual premises of his argument that is. Uh-huh. Okay, well, what what are some of the basic arguments then uh, about whether the the world is about to be entering a, an artificial intelligence arms race? Well, uh, like Zoltan says, he says an AI, a really useful AI. So the 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 furthest extension we would put to that is the super intelligent general artificial intelligence. Although I argue that's not necessary for it to be an issue. Uh, he says it would be such a valuable tool. That no one would be able to ignore that possibility, like to 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 say we're not going to go down that road. Well, I'd agree that AI is a tool too powerful to ignore. I mean, in general, intelligence is the most valuable thing we have. Intelligence is the thing that, you know, not just that empowers us, that makes human life worth living. I mean, and, and increasing your share of intelligence capability is is probably the most important thing you could do to ensure your future success. Right. And now he makes the argument that whichever nation out there created the creates the first super intelligent AGI wins the game. Like imagine that that geopolitical uh, uh, influences and forces are all reduced to a board game. Whoever hits that last square is the one who hit uh, first is the one who creates super intelligent AGI and they win the whole thing automatically, hands down. Um, I don't necessarily believe that because I think that access to a super intelligent AGI doesn't immediately solve other issues that a nation must uh, address, at least not not so quickly that other nations can't also react to it. Yeah. I, I think I'd agree with you there. Uh, I came up with a, a little thought experiment to sort of serve as an analogy. So imagine you've got two ships trying to win a race across the Atlantic Ocean. Okay. 
One ship is a 19th century style steamship is capable of about eight knots, and the captain is assisted by a team of the world's most brilliant scientists with access to powerful supercomputers and all the tools they could want. Uh The other ship is a modern ocean liner powered by geared steam turbines capable of 30 knots, but it is captained by a rather dim guy named Todd, who has no scientists or supercomputers at his disposal at all. Todd... Now, unfortunately, I think the fact is, given what I've stated, Todd is still going to win the race. Right, unless unless Todd is so dim as to cause damage to his ship. Yes. Then, uh, assuming that Todd is is at least of the level of intelligence necessary to follow a a specific route, Mm -hmm. yeah. So, yeah, it's good to have very smart people at your disposal to help optimize your chances of winning. But if you're stuck with a ship that's more than three times slower uh, and and that's how you start the race, you're just probably not going to win. But I would say maybe if the captain of the first ship is able to consult with the scientists and the supercomputers over a period of several years leading up to the race – well, then you, you could maybe go in with a clear advantage and win it. But then again, if, if Dim Todd knows this, he may get some scientists and supercomputers of his own. And then you've got a rate, you've got an arms race on your hands. Right. But I would say that just having this intelligence advantage does not automatically mean you immediately become the runaway winner for all time. Right. Though it, though it is a very strong advantage. Right. And see, Zoltan's point is that, uh, or the argument he makes is that whichever nation develops it first will have a dominant hand from that point forward, will become the dominant force on the face of the planet. Yeah, I know. He's also of the opinion that I think if you have the power, so if you have AGI on your side, you have the power to shut down and prevent other nations from achieving AGI. And I think unless you're willing to take incredibly extreme measures, that's not necessarily the case either. It also presupposes that that AGI is going to have those capabilities and it may be that it can accomplish things that we cannot easily do on our own, but it doesn't necessarily mean it can magically accomplish anything. Yeah. Right? Like I there's I think he's giving it so much credit and to be fair, we don't know. Right. right. We we don't have anything that's super intelligent because we've not been capable of creating such a thing. And maybe he's right. Maybe a super intelligent entity would be able to accomplish things that most of us would think of as being, if not impossible, impractical because it would be so difficult to do. Mm-hmm. But um, I I agree with you. I think that it would be something that would give a country a distinct advantage but not guarantee what Zoltan seems to think of as victory. Uh, he he seems to to at least in his arguments uh, uh, think that what we're heading toward is a world that's united because whichever country comes up with a super intelligent AGI will be able to subjugate all other countries to uh-huh. its will, and he thinks, gosh darn it, the good old U.S. of A. should be the country to do that. Uh, there's some elements to Zoltan's philosophy that I find particularly. Troubling might be the, might be too strong a word. Well, I mean, to defend, I I don't think I agree with his philosophy either. But to defend what he says, I mean, he he does say at least what he has in mind is a sort of benevolent hegemony. 
it's not like we're going to subjugate you and oppress you and do what we tell you. I think what he has in mind is that, you know, it's going to be the, the Federation from Star Trek. Everybody's happy and, you know, it's a utopian kind of thing. I think that's what he sees if the United States yes. is the entity that creates this. But I think he also imagines a world that would be in the realm of the dystopian future should some other country do it. Like, for example, China or Russia. Not that he specifically names these countries, but that would be example. Or North Korea. I think he actually does yes. name North Korea. Well, no, I, I will admit I can imagine if North Korea were able to develop an artificial general intelligence long before anyone else, I think that could have disastrous consequences for the planet. Absolutely. But I, I think, again, saying that in those scenarios, you don't get that Starfleet future. You, I get, also, you get some other science fiction future that's probably written by yeah. Burgess or something. I also don't think that's very likely, though. Yeah. Uh, now, we have other people that have weighed in on this issue uh, who have some really interesting points, too. Yeah. Uh, one thing we read is by uh, Anya Kasperson writing for the World Policy Journal blog about uh, the idea of an AI arms race. And what does she say, Jonathan? She says that, first of all, AI is it's undeniably intrinsically valuable. And yeah. I think that I think there is no way to dispute that. I think we both agree. There. Yeah. AI is definitely valuable, um, even in even at the extent that we have it right now, the the narrow AI that is our reality, we see that it's valuable because it's doing stuff for us. I mean, that that kind of defines value. Uh, so there's an incentive for countries to pursue the development of AI. I think that's undeniable, too. Yeah. Uh, now, even if those countries agree that weaponized AI is unethical, that's not enough of a deterrent, she says, to make sure that this does not, you know, blossom into a weaponized AI future. Because, I agree there, too. Yeah, there's always going to be rogue operators right? that may not be state-sponsored. You may have independent rogue operators that are willing to either develop or perhaps more likely appropriate AI technology and then convert it for weaponized purposes, which creates pressure on all nations to consider developing weaponized AI as a, just as a preventive measure. Right. So in other words, Mr. You, President, we cannot allow an AI gap. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, there are a lot of Dr. Strangelove moments I had while researching this, this particular <laughs> yeah. topic. Uh, can't fight here. This is the war room. So, uh, one of the examples that you could think of is that the United Nations agrees that weaponized AI is a bad idea. This is this is a hypo, hypo, hypothetical situation. Yeah, because, I actually had more to say about this in a bit. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll cover it in greater detail in a second. So in this hypothetical situation, the UN says, all right, uh, we as an international community agree that weaponized AI is a bad idea. It's going to lead us down a destructive road. Once we head down there, there's no turning back and the outcome is going to be negative there's not a way of envisioning this future where there's a, like a, a net positive outcome. So we're going to agree no weaponized AI. But then you've got those rogue operators like a terrorist cell or organized crime that see this as an opportunity to use AI in a weaponized way. And they don't they're not beholden to this international agreement. They have no stake in that. Right. Right. There's, they're not getting they're not worried about international sanctions from the U.N., they're trying to accomplish whatever goals their particular organization has, and they're using whatever tools are at their disposal to do so. Yeah, I mean, you're invoking here the concept that 
and this is true, generally even peace-loving people who are not looking to start a fight don't tend to opt for unilateral disarmament. Yeah, because yeah. because if you were to do that and there's that one person who hasn't agreed, then that one person just runs rampant over everybody else, right? Yeah. Like if you if you had a group of kids, like let's go Lord of the Flies. You have a group of kids and each kid is given a wiffle ball bat. And it's just to keep this from being like too violent for for even for a hypothetical situation. Each kid has a wiffle ball bat and you tell all the kids like, well, you can either have that wiffle ball bat and wail on your classmates or you can put the wiffle ball bat down and we'll have a fun activity. But you all need to put the wiffle ball bat down in order for that to happen. And one by one, they start dropping their wiffle ball bats until there's that one bully in the back. He's like, no, I know what my fun activity is. Hit all the kids who don't have wiffle ball bats. Right. That's the same sort of argument here. And uh, so you know, I made a little funny note in here saying, next thing you know, we've got gangster drones shaking down local businesses for extortion money. <laughs> Like, you know, it's a, you got a, you got a nice pizza joint here. It'd be a shame if someone, I don't know, assimilated it into its growing technological layer, <laughs> you know? So, so, you know, I think that's a legitimate argument. And I agree sure. very much with those, those uh, assertions. Yeah. That if, in fact, you know, there's a possibility to go down this, then someone, someone, whether state sponsored or not is going to do it. I would also argue we're already at a point where this can happen. Yeah. You don't need AGI for this to be a problem. Narrow AI is enough. Yeah. So exactly. So you, you don't need a general intelligence that can, you know, be super intelligent and produce the next, uh, next generation of technology and innovations and everything. You just need like a really good weapon that's yeah. smart. Yeah, or e- even if you're going to go the semi-autonomous route, right? Like y- you could argue we're there with drones. We're there. Mm-hmm. We're using technology that removes human operatives from conflict and replaces them with robotic ones. We'll have a lot more to say about about that concept a little bit further too because that that ties into one of the other big concerns about weaponized AI in general. Sure. Okay, so – Let's uh, let's speculate a little more. Sure. If there is an AI arms race, yeah. what's it going to look like? What are some scenarios that could actually happen? OK, so we have the state-sponsored approach where countries decide not to eschew weaponized AI. Yeah. Whether that ends up being a direct implementation of like a robotic soldier or AI that's assisting in some military capacity for strat- strategical or tactical planning – it doesn't really matter. Yeah. You could have top-down AI or bottom-up AI. Exactly, or both. You, yeah. know, you could have some integrated approach that has both. Uh, so one scenario is that you have established nations uh, like the United States, Russia, China, uh, developing weaponized AI. Uh, like uh, weaponized robots is a good example. So there's still some – there are already examples like drones that are kind of in this category, whether they are autonomous or semi-autonomous or remote-controlled uh, there are various types. You know, obviously, remote controlled, you wouldn't call it AI because it's under the operation of a of a human. Right. But uh, semi-autonomous or autonomous would fall into the AI category, even the narrow AI band. So these future robots, uh, that these hypothetical future robots that are weaponized AI, they take the place of our uh, soldiers, or they augment the presence of soldiers. So let's say that you would normally be able to field 
a couple of thousand soldiers. Well, now you've got a couple of thousand soldiers and 10,000 robots. Uh, or you get to a point where you just have the robotic soldiers and you don't put any humans in the field at all. It starts to sound like I'm playing wargaming here, but this is serious business. Uh, they Those robots then use narrow or general AI, depending upon the level of sophistication we've reached in this hypothetical future, to identify targets and differentiate them from non-targets. They can enter hostile zones and make snap decisions without any emotional considerations. So they're very cold and calculating in that sense. Uh, because they are things and not people, they remove some of the checks that would be in place for a nation before entering into conflict. This is one of those common arguments about if we go down the, the road of weaponized AI. It makes war so easy. Yeah. War becomes such an easy decision. Because, Psychologically, I mean. Yes, because you're, you are not committing human life. You're committing resources. So it still costs money and time and, and resources. But you're not, you're not saying, well, we're going to, you know, we're not going to enter into this because human lives will be lost and we will lose citizens and, and families will be affected. You're like, well, they're robots. You're putting more layers of abstraction between yourself and the actual carnage, too. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you've read that old idea. I can't remember who it was who suggested it, but the, somebody who suggested, you know what? Uh, you've got the, the person who follows around the president with a briefcase for the, uh, you know, nuclear launch materials right. that you would require in order to initiate a nuclear strike. And the suggestion was, you know, the president really uh, shouldn't be able to just initiate the strike. The president, he or she, should have to kill that person physically with their bare hands or with a cleaver of some kind in order to get the code out of some kind of implant in the person's body in order to use it to launch the nukes. Because it, it would and, show a level of commitment that, that right. is necessary considering the well, outcome of the choice. Yeah, it sounds insane. You're like, that's that's insanity. Why would you ever institute a policy like that? But you're talking about a policy of launching a nuclear strike. Killing millions of people. Yeah, and presumably. it just shows you that, like, you're not, you're not really considering those deaths. You, right. You're just, you've got them sort of, like, a step away from yeah, you. Yeah, those, those are numbers. And they're numbers that exist a far way away from where you are. Yeah. So the, exactly, that, that abstraction is what makes that action easier to undertake. Uh, when you make it a real thing that you have to confront, it's harder. And, Again, like it, like you're saying, you know, with the robotic soldiers, you've got that one concern that's taken away the idea that, well, our soldiers won't be put in danger. But then you you should start asking your question. Yeah, but the other side, that's that's people. <laughs> These yeah. robots would be, would be killing human beings. They're not our human beings, but they're human beings. And that's where, you know, depending upon the the. uh motivations and the psycho psychology of the nations involved and the 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 military personnel involved uh, you get very different outcomes um so there is that argument that we would become more warlike in this future because we would have fewer in, uh, impediments to entering into a war um which also kind of sounds like the terminator scenario if you remember terminators were robotic soldiers that were meant to um, be in the service of humans, but because of the the emergent general intelligence, the super intelligence of, of Skynet, they turn on humans. Well, they don't have to possess general AI to be a threat. They could have narrow AI. They could even be semi-autonomous where they're 
con- they're consistently being uh, guided by human intervention for it to still be an issue, to still be a very real escalation AI arms race problem. Uh-huh. Um, the super intelligent general AI thing makes it absolutely terrifying. Right. But it's not necessary for it to be a problem. Right. Like that's that's just the the nth degree of the scenario. Uh, so if you do get to that general AI super intelligent, then you start entering into other possible disasters. The classic science fiction one being that the robots themselves decide that they have to unite against humans in general, not just work for one group of humans against a different group of humans. For some reason, I've never found the robots decide to exterminate humanity scenario all that plausible. I I have found very destructive scenarios plausible. Like I could see how artificial intelligence could cause catastrophic damage to human civilization, but I, the, I I don't see it coming in the form of exterminate all humans. Yeah, you have to you have to have some form of you know the robots would have to have some motivation, right? Yeah, as opposed to just the directive. Like I can easily under imagine scenarios where robots through a directive. Uh, pursue it in a way that was not anticipated by the people who there are disastrous them. Uh, side effects of their behavior. The, the classic example being you've got a super intelligent computer and you say, uh, I want to bring about world peace. And it decides to eliminate all humans because by eliminating all humans, you've eliminated the potential for conflict. Right. That's that's the classic example of, oh, gosh, I wish I had thought of that. Uh, it, it also falls very much into a realm that I am I, I love very dearly which is Dungeons and Dragons, whenever your character receives a wish, you will see players spend hours trying to craft the perfect wish to to create a a foolproof scenario where the dungeon master can't misinterpret the wish uh-huh. and create a terrible outcome for the player. Oh, really? I've never seen this. So they're like genies or something like yes, that? Yes, yes. Okay. So, so you might say like, like uh, you know, uh, the... Simpsons version, make me a sandwich and turns them into a sandwich because it's misinterpreted the wish on purpose. Uh, But same sort of thing with uh, the general AI. Like there, there are disaster scenarios where it's not that the general AI was setting out to cause harm. It's just that through the process of trying to achieve whatever the goal was set, there were unintended consequences that were harmful. Um, There are other scenarios, though. There's the one that I think is the most likely, which is that companies, some sort of uh, corporations, maybe multiple corporations, develop more uh, competent AI that ends up having a negative impact through unintended consequences, kind of similar to what I was just saying. Uh, Governments will end up relying on these companies, contracting with them, or even just buying off-the-shelf components to put toward – military use, again, either top down or bottom up, Yeah. Um, essentially saying like, well, I know that this this piece of software was intended to do this, but with a little modification, we can have it do this other thing. We see this all the time in all sorts of technology industries. The VR industry is a great way of pointing uh, out uh, how this happens. In VR, before we got to some of the consumer headsets and, and controls that are out on the market now, you had uh, researchers who were they were they were appropriating video game technology, working with it, programming new interfaces for it, and using that as tools to develop VR applications. And it was all it was taking something that was in a related field, 
but changing it, transforming it to do something else. We could see that. And I think that's the more likely future that we see various types of AI develop specifically to do some non-military function, but then get adopted into, into, into uses, applications that it was not necessarily intended for at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that's very likely simply because companies have a lot of incentive to continuously innovate in this space. And we're going to see a lot more rapid development there than we would in some state sponsored program where, uh, you know, you've got you've got a top down pressure <laughs> to work harder, do do more innovation. Um, and also we could just see AI cause massive amounts of harm just in its normal operation, not even when it's being used for something else. And we've talked about this in the past too, like right. the stock trading uh, AI, like the various simple algorithms that just look at the stock market and make very small but very rapid transactions. Uh, once you get a bunch of those acting at the same time, you don't know how they affect one another. Mm -hmm. And there can become a cascading effect where you create market instability simply because of the collective activity of all these, where if maybe it was one AI or one simple algorithm that's acting on the stock market, no one would notice. It wouldn't really make a big difference. But when you have thousands of them all working to try and make a profit for whichever company is employing them, there could be these unintended consequences leading to like a market crash, which we've seen. Uh, we've seen market crashes that last minutes <laughs> and return to normal, but it could be catastrophic. Uh, then we have the rogue actors scenario. Uh, this is the one where the countries, the various nations in the world have agreed, okay, we're, we're going to take a hands-off approach on weaponizing AI. We don't want to do that. The rogue actors one is that these other entities, whether they're terrorist cells, organized crime, uh, uh, you know, maybe it's a, a group within a nation that wants to break free of whatever the the government in power is, they might be willing to take those steps. Uh, one of the examples Kesperson actually brought up is to imagine a weaponized drone with facial recognition capabilities flying over a crowd and it analyzes the crowd and it looks for a specific person. And if it identifies that person, that person's a target it's a weaponized drone, so it fires on the target, and you essentially have assassination by robot. Yeah. This I is, mean, that doesn't sound implausible to me at all. No. I mean, you could you could rig something up like that today. It would not be terribly sophisticated. It would not be terribly reliable. But the other point that Kaspersen makes is for rogue nations, they don't – not even just rogue nations, rogue actors, they don't necessarily have – a high threshold of reliability that they must meet in order for them to be comfortable investing in this technology or utilizing this technology, right? Right. Like if if their if their device ends up killing someone mistakenly, well, that's unfortunate, but it's they don't necessarily care. Like that's not they don't have anyone else to answer to apart from their own organization and if their organization doesn't value that human's life, there's from their perspective, there's no problem. Mm -hmm. Nations, it's different, right? You have a lot of people to answer to and you can't just go killing people indiscriminately. There are huge 
problems with that, obviously. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, everything, everything he specified. Yeah. Well, like, like not just the, not just the, Obvious ethical issues, but then you've got things like the Geneva Convention to, right. to contend with too, right? So you've got this this possibility of uh, agents that are outside of state control that could potentially be using this technology, which therefore puts the pressure on all the states to at least figure out a way to counteract that, right? If not, keep pace with it. So. Uh, by the way, I also really love the word rogue. It's a good word. And also rouge, which some people will interchange because they make a typo. Uh, so I'm not talking about Mulan rogue. Yeah, Mulan rogue or rouge actors. Uh, <laughs> as an actor, I have worn rouge before. I'm not ashamed to admit it. I'm sure it'd look good on you. Yeah. Okay. So one more thing I want to point out. Yeah. Is that very often the ideas that get tossed around when discussing the concept of an AI arms race <clears throat> are specifically about weaponized AI. Mm -hmm. So it, it has military connotations. You're talking about military robots or drones or at the, the top level AGI that's some kind of military commander or creating new weapons or something like that. I was thinking about how there could very much be an AI arms race that's not necessarily explicitly military in nature, or at least not at first, right? I mean, so developing an AGI, if you have a superhuman general intelligence in a machine, that's not just useful for military advantage. It's useful for every possible competition, right? Right. Any any. Application of intelligence, it would by definition be useful toward that. Right. So in market competition and trade wars and sure. stuff like that between countries, an AGI would be a supreme advantage. I mean in, – in any, in any place you're looking to solve a problem or excel, the AGI is, is an advantage. So it almost seems like an overly confined way of envisioning the, the transformation of geopolitics by AI to just think about – uh, AI robot soldiers and AI military commanders and stuff like that. Yeah, no, I, I agree entirely, which is why one of those scenarios I was talking about companies, uh, like, can you imagine the first company to provide a, uh, a computer or a smartphone or a tablet or some piece of personal electronics that incorporates AGI into it in some way, whether the device itself possesses it or it has uh, an internet link to a cloud-based AGI solution, that would be enormous, yeah. right? That would be that would be a game changer. That would be a killer app, a killer product. And so, assuming you, it's it's super intelligent, yeah, yeah. Well, even if it's not super intelligent, just just imagine having a pretty intelligent person you could rely upon to do stuff on your behalf. Like yeah. think of all the narrow AI applications we have right now, but you have all of them wrapped up in a single format factor. Right. So you would have something that could do everything from helping you keep track of your activity throughout the day to uh, making sure that you are on time for all your scheduled appointments to following up with you about concerns, all this kind of stuff like like that that ideal personal assistant that really creates your reality uh as far as how you interact with technology that would be a a huge product and you can bet that 
any company that works in consumer technology is looking to incorporate more and more sophisticated AI into their products. So it's there already is an AI arms race in that sense. It doesn't necessarily mean an arms race that is going to lead toward violent confrontation. But there is this competition already in the market for companies to try and develop in that space. And maybe several generations down the line, that evolves into something that is more akin to a weapons arms race. But it doesn't necessarily have to start out that way. That's one of the scary things about this, right? Uh, That we might not even intend this to be used in any way that would be remotely related to military applications or acts of hostility. Mm-hmm. But generations down the line, and by generations, I'm talking about technology generations, which happen way faster than human generations, that might end up being the case. All right. So what happens? What, what, are, the, what are the outcomes of the AI arms race? Like, what are the various things we see this how how do we see this turning out people stop making terminator jokes on every article about ai i mean they would certainly think twice about it before the ai <laughs> the ai kneecappers <laughs> come by i saw that joke you made real funny you know what else is funny this bat <laughs> um, bat wielding robots bat wielding robots they wouldn't need bats they have clamps no they don't need bats but you know sometimes you just got to do stuff for style okay no uh, what were what are some things so what are some things so one outcome is that we get this uh Competitive approach. This is what we're seeing right now. Everyone's competing to make ro- more robust, useful AI. Uh, eventually, someone creates a super intelligent AI that's harmful to humans, either intentionally or otherwise. And then we have to deal with that reality. Uh, ultimately, dealing with that might mean that we don't succeed, that we as a species are eliminated. Because if you're talking about super intelligent AI, by definition, it is smarter than we are. It's more capable than we are at processing information. And thus, any strategy we might come up with to try and take down that AI will be something it's already considered and figured out a way to counteract. Um, at least that's that's the general way we, we frame that. Like, if it is truly super intelligent, nothing we think of will be something it hasn't already considered by definition because it's more intelligent than we are capable of being. Unless we also become super intelligent. Yeah, well, that's a totally different AI arms race, right? Uh, so that's one outcome. That's kind of depressing. You know, everyone dies. Don't really like that. Not a big fan. I mean, mm-hmm. I love Shakespeare, but, you know, we don't have to have it be a tragedy. We can have it be a comedy. Maybe everyone gets married. We get married to robots. How about that one? That's a good outcome. Uh, so another outcome is super intelligent AI ends up being impossible or so impractical to create that we never really implement it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in this scenario, we would discover either that we lack the capability to achieve super intelligent machines or we could do it, but it requires so much energy and it's so resource heavy that no one's willing to actually go to the step of making it. Yeah, I, I think I stick by the conclusion we talked about in the last episode that it is pretty much demonstrated that superintelligence is in principle possible, but that doesn't mean that it is in practice feasible. Right. It's It might be 
possible in principle, but we just can't ever do it. Yeah, if it, if it turned out to be something where we just don't have the physical resources to design the system, or maybe we do, but it would be to, to do so would create a hardship because we're diverting so many resources from other things. Or we're just too locked into patterns of stupidity to ever figure out how to do it right. Yeah, then we never have to worry about the super intelligent part at all. But here's the problem with that. We don't need it to be super intelligent for it to be a problem, right? You don't need a driverless car to be super intelligent for it to be able to deliver an explosive, for example, which is terrifying, but a a reality that we could see. Mm. Um, So... Then we would enter an era of rapid development to both create and prevent harmful uses of AI. Um, These would be human guided, right? Not necessarily AI guided, because if we aren't able to make superhuman intelligent or super intelligent, rather, AI, then we would mostly be relying on human ingenuity in that case. Uh, Zoltan's outcome was that idea that we would become a united species under one government, one flag, one nation, indivisible. His goal would be to have America be the dominant force that would then bring the rest of the world together. Uh, so essentially the U.S. would annex everybody else. And then we would just have to worry about the possibility of super intelligent AI that we had created uh, turning against us and not worry so much about each other. Um, so are you voting for Zoltan for I, president? No, no. I, I, I don't think that's a realistic outcome. Um, either... Well, first of all, I don't think it's realistic that we would have unity uh, mm-hmm. on any on any global level. We don't even have unity on a national level. So unity on a global level to me seems uh, idealistic to a point of being implausible. Yeah. Um, but beyond that, uh, I think, again, as I've said many times, the, the AI being an issue will happen long before we get to any super intelligent type of AI. Or general intelligence. Um, another outcome is that we create a, ser- a series of guidelines to shape AI so that it works for the benefit of humans, not to the detriment. And that involves creating a set of practices that allow us to guide AI's development in a way that doesn't lead to the Terminator scenario. This is where you have the people arguing, we need to come up with ways to instill human value into machines. The control problem. <clears throat> yeah. And, the, and of course, this leads to other problems too, right? Like who defines what human value is? Under whose definition do we create this AI? Like who writes the guidelines? And who what's to stop someone from developing AI that doesn't uh, you know, abide by them? Right. Um, these are all tough questions <laughs> that I don't have answers to. Well, I guess the last major question is, is there any way to avoid an AI arms race? Well, can it can it be averted? We first we first have to think about that UN solution, right? Yeah, the, so the international agreement, the solution. AI equivalent of the nuclear test ban treaties. Yeah. So the international community, uh, they they've done stuff like this before with varying degrees of success. They've attempted to halt or limit the proliferation of nuclear weapons and the acceleration of the 20th century, at least, uh, nuclear arms race by coming up with these international nuclear test ban treaties. And these treaties ban various types of nuclear weapons testing among ratified parties. For example, the Partial Test Ban Treaty of 1963 was signed by nuclear powers like the U.S., the U.K., and the Soviet Union – 
which mutually agreed to prohibit all testing of thermonuclear weapons except for underground tests. Right, right. Same thing is true with um, chemical weapons. Like yeah. the, there were essentially international agreement that that is a as a no-go. Right. Uh, so there is a question, I guess, could we do something similar with AI? People recognize the potential for danger and make AI development illegal everywhere in the world. First of all, I'd say this seems unenforceable, even by international treaty, like even assuming you could get every country in the world to sign on as a party to that treaty, which I don't necessarily think you could. For mm -hmm. example, the Comprehensive Nuclear Test Ban Treaty of 1996 that attempted to uh, extend the, you know, the the scope of the nu nuclear test ban treaties that existed. They couldn't get that signed or ratified by key countries. And by my estimation, I think it's much easier to hide the development of artificial intelligence than it is to hide the testing of nuclear weapons. You can probably perform key AI research in ways that can be contained in a single nondescript warehouse. It's just not that hard. There's no radiological evidence to sniff out with an atmospheric collection aircraft or anything like that. There'd be no seismographic signature. All these things we can use to check and see if people are performing nuclear tests they're not supposed to be doing. You could have decentralized development. Yes. Yeah. How would you how would you do anything like that with AI? Yeah. Uh, so in the end, I think even if you're able to get all the member states of the U.N. to sign a comprehensive AI test ban treaty, there would be no way whatsoever to enforce it. It would just be paper. Right. And we have to keep in mind that, like we said before, there are a lot of potential uses for AGI. The scary right, one is do, military. Right. But, but do we even want this? I mean, let's not forget how useful AI could be if it's AGI is promised. This this almost certainly yields major breakthroughs in medicine, energy, uh, all kinds of fields that would, if implemented properly, improve human life, increase wealth for the whole world and protect our environment. But I guess the question, you know, that that key phrase, if implemented properly, is a big if. Yeah. Okay, so would there be any other ways to prevent it? I would say nothing that I can think of. Right. I mean, my intuitive ruling is that if AGI is technologically feasible, a different question than whether it's possible in principle, which I agree that it is, it's just not possible to prevent the development of it. You can't put anything in place to stop people from doing it unless you're talking about some something extreme like just, well, wipe out the whole human race or destroy all computers or something. Well, right. Like like the human race as a as a entire species gets wiped out before we have the ability to create an AGI, in which, right. case, which case that's like – What were well, you trying to prevent? That was – I mean, or that some other thing caused it, and it wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't even, and the the AGI wasn't even remotely connected to right. the reason for for the extermination of the species. Uh, assuming um, human progress continues as normal without major catastrophe, if there is a way for us to do it, then we're going to do it. Someone will do it. Yeah, it it doesn't. I mean, if it's possible to create it, someone will create it because. That's what we are as a species. It's it's not necessarily that someone would create it in an effort to create – to do malicious activity. Mm -hmm. But someone will do it. If it's possible, then we will get around to doing it sooner or later. The question is how hard is it, right? Like if it's, if it's so hard that it's possible but we're not going to be there for another century, mm -hmm. well, we can have this conversation but it's not re really going to matter until a century from now. That's – it's still going to matter. Well, but – 
it'll be a hundred years later. This whole uh, discussion does seem to make that control problem seem of of imminent importance. Like even if the development of AGI is not imminent, which I don't think it is, I don't get the feeling that it's going to happen anytime real soon. Yeah, we still do need to be thinking about these control problems. Like what what do you do? To, uh, to, you know, to limit the unintended consequences of AGI. Right. To, uh, un- to understand how we're going to use it and prevent people from using it in a destructive way. Uh, they're, they're really hard problems, but we need to be working on them. Yeah. I think what we're going to see is a new dawn of electromagnetic pulse technology <laughs> to take hey, yeah. out, take out robo soldiers and computers. I mean, that's, I'm, I'm kind of making a joke, but I'm kind of not because if you get to a point where you're thinking, well, I can't stop anyone from trying to pursue this line of development. Um, and even if it takes a long time, people are going to go after it. What do I do in order to prepare for the eventuality that someone is incorporating this on some scale, whether it's a bunch of narrow AI implementations a general AI intel, uh, implementation or a super intelligent AGI, you gotta have you gotta have a plan in place. I'm I I, I kind of made a joke about EMPs, but I think that's going to be a big thing. I really do think that uh, those that technology would be an important element because uh, if nothing else, you could shut stuff down. Anything that's electronic, you could shut it down long enough for you to have a, a different plan to go in place to. Um, potentially take care of things. Obviously, if you get to a point where it's a distributed intelligence, that's a lot harder. <laughs> yeah, because there's no place to aim at; it's everywhere. And at that point, we're having we're having a totally different conversation. Maybe that's the point where humans and machines merge, and we we truly do become transhumanist, and Zoltan rules over us all. <laughs> well said. Yeah. Um. And I know we had a lot of fun with this, but I mean, it's it is one of those things where you got to kind of stretch your mind to think about, it because obviously we're talking about situations that aren't in the realm of possibility right now, but we can see kind of where we're headed. So it's easy to imagine it, even if it's not something that is pressing right now. Uh, I'm kind of curious what you guys think. If you have any thoughts on the, the subject of the AI arms race, you should write in and let us know. Our email address is fwthinking at howstuffworks.com or drop us a line on Facebook or Twitter. You can go to Facebook, search fwthinking, our profile will pop up. You can leave us a message or send us a tweet over on the Twitters. Our handle is fwthinking and we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.
There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, kids' playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe ventilation system exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe ventilation system. You can get it installed, or DIY kits are available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com and receive 20% off today. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? It's estimated over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. To save, visit HealthLock.com today. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 